to the David Glenn Show. NC State coach Dave Doran is going to join us in less than 15 minutes. His Wolfpack off to a 3-1 start. Heads to Tallahassee. Florida State coach Willie Taggart had a brutal debut last year at a program that considers itself national championship worthy, right? Two under Bobby Bowden, one under Jimbo Fisher before he took off for Texas A&M. They missed a bowl entirely last year. They're off to a shaky start this year. That's the den into which the NC State Wolfpack walks. They went to West Virginia when the Mountaineers were struggling, and they came home with a disappointing 44-27 defeat. We'll see how they handle the road trip this time. Coach Doran live in a little bit more than 10 minutes. Your phone calls are welcome now on the whistleblower, sports only, NFL, college football, and other headlines of the day, 1-800-849-2761. Carolina Hurricanes fans, I will give you more on my number one concern for this team right now as the regular season opener is just one week away. More importantly, perhaps for you as a Kaniac, we are giving away a pair of tickets with a parking pass in about 30 minutes to that opener a week from tonight against the Montreal Canadiens as year number two under the Rod Brindamore leadership gets underway. 1-800-849-2761. So one thing I promised, are the Miami Dolphins numerically, put aside subjectivity, are the Dolphins the worst 0-3 team in NFL history? And will their tanking approach pay off? Well, we'll leave the latter question for later, but the answer to the first question is yes. Objectively speaking, if all you do is go through NFL history and say who after three games had the worst point differential, any team, any year, as far back as you want to go, the Miami Dolphins have been outscored 133 to 16. That is a point differential over three weeks now of minus 117. That is not only the worst ever, it is 20 points worse than the previous record. I was not alive for the 1950 Colts, but they must have been miserable because I know what these Dolphins look like. They are horrific. They were bad before they traded away Laramie Tunsil on the offensive line and Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary for first-round picks. For those wondering about whether tanking pays off, I'll leave the broader discussion for another time because Dave Doran's going to join us shortly. But just remember this. The Houston Astros and the Chicago Cubs went from long stretches of irrelevance and sometimes misery to World Series champions in part by being really bad for a significant stretch of time. The Philadelphia 76ers, they had a GM named Sam Hinkie. The process, they were really, really bad for a, an ugly stretch of years, but they ended up with a lot of high first-round draft picks. They are on, I think, most people's top five list for the best chance to win the 2020 NBA title. I have my skepticism on that, by the way. But it is not an exaggeration to say that their tanking has paid off. Will it pay off the way the Cubs and the Astros did? Maybe not. We'll see. But even the Cleveland Browns, whereas we don't know where this story is going, being bad enough long enough to stockpile high draft picks has made the Browns relevant for one of the only times in the last quarter century. I don't know where their story is going, but they're more interesting with Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. and others, Miles Garrett. They're relevant. They may may be a playoff team, and we haven't been able to say that very often over the last 25 years about the Cleveland Browns. Similarly, the Astros and the Cubs, the Sixers, like they're all stories that I think 
in a different way in football. Like you tank, okay, you're getting one top of the first round pick, and yeah, you're early in each of the subsequent rounds, assuming you haven't traded them away, and yeah, you're getting other first rounders. We'll see if the Dolphins have a success story like the Sixers, who haven't again reached the top of the mountain, but clearly they've turned their franchise around by doing it the long, painful tanking way. We'll see if it pays off for the Dolphins, but there is no debating how bad they are by NFL history standards. Meanwhile, somebody asked me, DG, has Carolina ever beat the number one team in the country in football? Answer, at least if you follow the Associated Press version of number one, which usually agrees with the coach's poll, but not always. Answer, no! The Tar Heels in the sport of football are 0-9 all-time playing the number one AP team in college football. They, of course, this Saturday are hosting the number one Clemson Tigers. Dabo Sweeney and Mac Brown both have dropped by recently on the David Glenn Show. I don't know if it's going to be an entertaining game. I don't know if it's going to be back and forth. I would be as shocked as I've ever been in 30-plus years of covering this stuff if the Tar Heels shocked the world by beating Clemson on Saturday. All due respect, Miles Dorn was a great guest, star senior safety for the Heels yesterday. Ain't going to happen. 0-9 is going to become 0-10. And I looked this up just out of curiosity. Darren, I think you, I know you just might have barely missed it. I have been to three of Carolina's games, three of the nine. For the record, I was not around in the 1940s or 1950s when the Tar Heels lost to number one Notre Dame three straight times over a period of years. The Irish were ranked number one all three times. The Tar Heels lost all three times. Uh, Later in the 50s, they lost to a number one Oklahoma team. I was curious how many of the nine, 0-9 against number one AP, how many of the nine were even close? Six of the nine were slaughters. Ramsey's being led to slaughter, so to speak. Three of the nine were closer. And one of them was before I was born against Notre Dame back in the 50s. One of them was four years ago against the Clemson Tigers. It's hard to believe because so much has changed. But the Larry Fedora-led North Carolina Tar Heels played to a single possession the number one in the nation, Dabo Sweeney Tigers. I think that was the last ACC title game that I went to before you became my producer, correct? I, th- I think so. That was 2015, so yeah. December of 2015. Yep. The Heels were taking on a number one team, and that was 45-37. Remember with the Heels trying to go onside kick at the end? and I mean, they weren't going to win that game, but they certainly put up a good fight. I've seen them get crushed by number one Bobby Bowden teams twice. One time in 1993, 33 to 7 Seminoles over Tar Heels. One time in 1999, 42 to 10 Seminoles over Tar Heels. So those are the three most recent examples. Tar Heels 0 and 9 historically, six of the nine true thrashings at the hands of their number one opponent. Quick note from the college basketball world Georgia Tech is on probation and has been banned from this year's NCAA tournament. Long story short, remember, the head coach there had issues at Memphis, and the same guy who caused him issues at Memphis has caused him headaches at Georgia Tech. Josh Pastor is the head coach. He has not yet led the Yellow Jackets to the NCAA tournament. The ACC does have four or more really good teams this year, 
Duke, Louisville, Carolina, and Virginia. It has such an uneven midsection that I think if you're a Wake fan, you know, cheering for Danny Manning rather than rooting against him uh, or whatever, anybody but maybe Virginia Tech and Clemson, who probably are going to have a tough go of it this college basketball season, you're not insane to say, I can make a run at fifth or sixth place. I can make a run at an NCAA tournament bid because of sort of the weaker midsection, if you will, of the ACC after that top tier. Well, if you're a senior, they have a big guy named James Banks who decided to stay in school rather than turn pro. I mean, he's good enough. I don't know if he'll stick in the NBA someday. He'll make a living in professional basketball. So he was one of the few guys that said, nah, I don't like my draft position quite enough. It's not like he was going to pick where Zion and those guys were going to be picked. So he stays in school. And theoretically, I could paint a picture where the Yellow Jackets might have made a run at an NCAA bid. Again, some speculation there. But there's a whole lot of teams that have a chance of pulling that off, a surprise or two. Now, that same dude stayed in school for a one-year for a one year period that the Yellow Jackets are not eligible to go to the NCAA tournament. And James Banks, the veteran big man, had nothing to do with the wrongdoing. Assistant coach Daryl LaBerry has been given a three-year show cause penalty. The Yellow Jackets will lose one scholarship for each year of their probation, and that is a four-year probation, and they are prohibited from playing in the postseason entirely, not just NCAA tournament, but no postseason for this year's Yellow Jackets in the sport of basketball because of violations involving impermissible benefits. Former point guard Jarrett Jack was actually involved in the giving of those impermissible benefits, and the Georgia Tech folks have to permanently disassociate from a man named Ron Bell, who is the guy who's been kind of harassing Josh Pastner from Memphis to Georgia Tech. Jarrett Jack, by the way, is not allowed to be associated with the Yellow Jackets, his his own school and team, for a period of three years as a part of this NCAA verdict that was announced a little bit earlier today. 1-800-849-2761. Canes tickets in about 20 minutes. Dave Doran of NC State has the Wolfpack off to a 3-1 and one start. He's coming off back-to-back nine-win seasons, and he's taking the Wolfpack to Tallahassee to take on the Seminoles. Coach Doran live next on the David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans... They're always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody in another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We'll be giving away opening night Carolina Hurricanes tickets in about 15 minutes. We are welcoming in now, as promised, yet another college football coach. His Wolfpack is off to a 3-1 and one start. This season, they head to Tallahassee to take on Florida State this Saturday. Dave Dorn is trying to build on five consecutive bowl games, back-to-back nine-win seasons, and he has sent a whole bunch of players to the National Football League. He joins us now. Coach Dorn, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm good, David. It's good to have you back, man. Most people expected you to win against lesser competition in weeks one, two, and four, and you did exactly that. Uh, some were surprised that you lost at West Virginia. How do you assess where your team is compared to your expectations as you head to Tallahassee? You know, it's hard to assess uh, a team as young as mine. I mean, the most important thing is we got to get better every week. And uh, started this season with 11 seniors, and I have seven right now. 
And, you know, last week three of my four captains were injured and couldn't play. So we're dealing with some things you don't, you know, you can't anticipate and that uh, forces the depth of your roster to, to play out. And for us, it's been great getting these young guys in there, but we're suffering some of those pains at times. So it's hard to tell you, you know, what I thought we would be like compared to where we are. Um, kind of have to just focus my attention on where we can go next. And there's a lot of improvement to be had. Does your tunnel vision allow you to see other college football enough that you were able to communicate with your former offensive coordinator, Eli Drinkwitz, when his App State Mountaineers managed to beat your one of your rivals, the North Carolina Tar Heels? Yeah, absolutely. Watched the whole game. Was uh, really happy for him and Coach Ruth and Cole Cooks on that staff. So, yep. you know, it was awesome for those guys, and uh, they did a great job. Your next opponent, Florida State, has a coach under a different kind of scrutiny given that program's national championship status and his uh, missing a bowl game last year and two and two start this year. What do you see when you look at the Florida State depth chart, maybe compared, you know, talent wise to whatever you've seen over these now seven seasons with the Wolfpack? You know, uh, they're much improved, for, first of all. Uh, they have great skill. I mean, they're wideouts and. Cam Akers, the tailback, um, as good as anybody's in the country. Uh, defensively, they're, you know, D-line, they're playing three down, and all three of them are over 300 pounds. Uh, they're a little banged up at linebacker, you know, uh, like you expect, long, athletic, quick DBs. You know, everywhere but the O-line, um, you know, the O-line struggled last year for them, and they're getting better now. Um but that's, you know, as you look at him, I thought Blackman uh, was playing well before he was injured. I'm not sure if he'll play or not against us. But Warney Brook, I'm familiar with, and, uh, um, you know, transferred from Wisconsin. and Very good player, a great player in high school. So they're going to be, a, you know, really good football team. They've started fast in every game they've played. And so it's going to be a four-quarter game. We're going to have to deal with the crowd noise and, and make sure we play longer than they do. NC State coach Dave Doran joining us on the David Glenn Show. You can follow Coach on Twitter at State Coach D. Uh, just my opinion, I'd rather face James Blackman than Alex Hornibrook. Uh, I know you wouldn't answer that question, but how about a broader one? Do or Is it to the point where you have to kind of produce two def defensive game plans for quarterbacks that at least to some degree have different styles? Yeah, I don't know how mobile James will be if he can play. I mean, he had a it was a bad uh, looking hit on his knee. So I mean, even if he's in there, I don't think he'll be himself from a mobility standpoint. But uh, if he was healthy, yeah, you would. You'd have to have a different plan. And obviously, um, Hornybrook's a lefty, so you know it makes you rethink about how plays are on the hashes with potential bootlegs and sprint outs from a directional standpoint with those guys. Speaking of quarterbacks, you did give your backup, Bailey Hockman, uh, some snaps against Ball State. What went into that decision, and then what? how much weight did you put on the fact that that possession ended in – it wasn't in the ugliest interception, but uh, it did end up in right. being a turnover? Well, you know, we wanted to get him some snaps that weren't mop-up snaps, and I think – uh, for two things, you know, uh, if Matt is not playing the way that he needs to play, at least we have an assessment on how Bailey can do. Um, anybody can go in and hand the ball off at the end of the game, and he's done that, you know, in three or four of our games. Actually, he's done it yeah, in three of our games this year. So it was just trying to get some real move-the-ball reps in a game setting for him, see how he'd handle it, and, and uh, I think it motivated Matt 
Um, it was good for Bailey. Obviously, I don't like the fact that he threw a pick, but he'll bounce back. It's a good experience for him, and um, you know, I think it'll continue to be something that we have to look at. And, and Devin Leary is another young man that's getting better in practice. So, you know, I said this at the beginning of the season: we're going to be a lot different team at the end than we are at the beginning, just because of how young we are, and we've got to grow. Matt McKay, your quarterback, redshirt sophomore, knows the system. You complimented that during the offseason. What do you circle as the most important areas where he needs to get better if the Wolfpack's going to have the kind of quarterback play or anything close to it that you had with Ryan Finley or even Jacoby Brissett and others? Right. You know, I think there's a lot of unrealistic expectations for Matt in his first uh, three games as a starter, as a redshirt sophomore, and comparing him to – a senior in Brissett and a senior in Finley. Um, Jacoby wasn't lights out his first year as a starter early on, and Ryan had his own struggles as well. So he's going to grow. He's going to improve. You know, areas that have stuck out, you know, uh, like to see more velocity and, and accuracy on his deeper throws. Um, the game management aspect at times, and some of them are, we can coach better, but just the short yardage stuff, we can be better offensively and he has to understand, you know, what to do with the ball in those scenarios. But, you know, I said that when the season started. I think when you've had Mike Lennon to Jacoby Brissett, <laughs> yeah. you know, to Ryan Finley, you've got pretty good scope, uh, <laughs> NFL quarterback now. I'm not saying Matt can't be one, but it's unrealistic to say he's going to show up and be that guy on day one. Coach, I've been to Doak Campbell Stadium enough times to know how in- intense and even insane it has been at times under a Bobby Bowden or a Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. It's been half empty. Um, do, do you even address that with your players at all? You do visit no. there every other year. You just wash it out entirely? Because I don't know. You know, I mean, they, they won a game. Uh, maybe it will be filled. I don't know. And, and I can't give them the what ifs. I mean, I can only give them things that are real. Yeah. And, so we had crowd noise cranked up all week, you know, and if it's not loud, then great. But uh, I've been there when it's crazy like you talked about, and it's an awesome environment, and if that's what it is, we'll be ready for it. When you think about your only road trip to West Virginia, was it mostly about execution, uh, or was there anything that the guys just didn't handle correctly about yeah. what they thought the Mountaineers were or the road trip aspect or anything else? I mean, this would be an hour conversation to mm. answer that one. You know, I think there's a lot of things we did poorly. It starts with me having the guys ready, and we didn't handle uh, adversity well. We didn't have enough energy on our sideline. We didn't make simple plays. We didn't stop the run. Didn't play good football. Didn't coach good football. And it was a great learning experience. And you get punched in the mouth, you own it, you get up, and you swing harder, and that's what we're going to do. It felt like special teams – kind of was a knife through the heart in the West Virginia game, and yet you turned around and special teams was one of your biggest boosts against Ball State. What's the, yeah. what's happened there? Well, we underperformed in that game, and I had a punt blocked. Uh, they did a nice job with their punt unit in the West Virginia game. I mean, we were pinned inside the 10, I think, three times. And so that's, you know, credit to their punter, but uh, not much you can do about that. Um, but you can't get a punt blocked ever. And so, you know, I thought our guys took the coaching last week. They were embarrassed. I think our football team was. I know our staff was. And uh, didn't play great, but played good enough to win and did a lot of things on special teams that were elite, in my opinion. I mean, we were 6-7 on touchbacks with our kicker on kickoffs. Uh, he had 47-yard average on punt. 
you know, Chris Dunn continues to kick the ball effectively. Uh, our coverage units were awesome. We returned a punt for a touchdown and blocked a punt. Last thing for you as you head to Tallahassee, you're one of only a few teams that has not yet begun conference play. What's different about that for you as a coaching staff or, uh, or in the eyes of the players? From a staff standpoint, there isn't a difference. I mean, we have to prepare the same way for every team. Um, from a team standpoint, you know, these games have, have merit in your standing. So, you know, if you're going to compete at all in, in our conference for anything, every conference game matters. And, uh, you know, from bowl standings to conference championship standings. And so each one of these, not that non-conference doesn't matter because it does in your overall ranking, but when it comes to winning a conference and winning the Atlantic, these are the games that really matter. Dave Dorn, it's the 3-1 and Wolfpack at the 2-2 two and two Florida State Seminoles, 7.30 in Tallahassee this Saturday night. It will be carried exclusively on the ACC Network. Coach, thank you, as always, for squeezing us in. Uh, best wishes to you and your guys in Tallahassee. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Go Pack. You got it. Dave Dorn on Twitter, at State Coach D. Nine wins last year, nine wins the year before. Off to a 3-1 and one start. When you look forward, they're not allowed to do that, but we are. When you look forward... I think the Wolfpack's a better team than what I've seen from Syracuse so far. I think a trip to Boston College is kind of like a coin flip. Up there, it's a coin flip. I actually think the Wolfpack's a little bit of a more well-rounded team, especially if it can get better quarterback play from whomever. I think they're a little bit better than Louisville in year one under Scott Satterfield. I think they're better than Georgia Tech. They have to go to Atlanta later this year. Georgia Tech looks like the, the worst team in the ACC. Carolina goes to Raleigh in the regular season finale, so we'll see what they look like on both sides by then. We'll be there with the big tailgate tour. You have number one Clemson coming to Raleigh. That's a big tailgate tour game too, isn't it? I mean, we couldn't have left that one off. That's in uh, on November 9th. So that's, of course, as we're saying with the Tar Heels, an almost certain loss. Uh, it's not quite as certain given that the Wolfpack has given the Tigers problems at times, and it is at Carter-Finley, but clearly the toughest game on the Wolfpack schedule. And they have to go to Wake Forest this year, and the Deeks are 4-0, and and I think it's the best Wake Forest teams that I have seen since Jim Grobe won the ACC title in 2006. They were my dark horse of the summer. So far, so good for Dave Clawson's team and Deacons. You can see another bowl game, right? But the question becomes, what, what do Wolfpack fans expect from this group? Are they willing to accept not getting to a third straight nine-win season because you don't have a Russell Wilson, Mike Glenn, and Jacoby Brissett, Ryan Finley, and, and you need to give Matthew McKay and his backups a little more time to grow? Or are they looking at an underwhelming ACC and they're saying, okay, okay, maybe you lose to Clemson. That's two losses. But – you should beat a vulnerable Florida State team? Or should you beat Wake, even though they're not the typical Wake? You know, I could see a bowl, right? But it's hard to feel like you're confident about getting a third straight nine-win season. How would Wolfpack Nation react to that? I don't know. Are, they, are their expectations a little bit lower because of the personnel, especially at quarterback? Or is it just by year seven, you should be winning nine games every year, especially when ECU, Western Carolina, and Ball State are three of your four non-conference opponents? If you schedule that way, you should be at worst three and one in your non-conference every year. West Virginia on the road, even in a non-vintage year for the Mountaineers, you know, it's, it's still a Big 12 team. I mean, it's still, it's not a cupcake the way those other three were this year. 
three and one or four and zero oh in conference play, or non-conference play. If you go five and three, even well, there's your nine. There's your nine wins potentially, right? Five and three in conference, three and one out of conference, win a bowl game, and there's your third straight nine-win season. Or after this many years, do you say, why can't you get us to double-digit wins? In the Wolfpack's case, believe it or not, that's only been done one time in the history of their program. One double-digit. I've mentioned Jim Harbaugh has reached double-digit wins three of his four seasons at Michigan, and they people are mad at him because of what happened against Wisconsin, right? And because he hasn't beaten Ohio State head-to-head and some other things. Three out of four double-digit seasons, double-digit win seasons for Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. A hundred years of Wolfpack football, one double-digit win season. I mean, all, all things are relative. There is an example of that being true. Hard to envision this Wolfpack team being great without much better quarterback play. And it's not beat up on Matthew McKay. He is a brand-new starter. He is following in the footsteps of four consecutive NFL quarterbacks, two of those during the Dave Doran era. That's not easy. In a league, though, where they are lighting it up elsewhere, Jamie Newman at Wake Forest, Sam Howell as a freshman at UNC, Bryce Perkins at UVA. Trevor Lawrence hasn't quite been unleashed yet this year. His numbers aren't as good as a sophomore as they were during his amazing freshman campaign when the Tigers were 15-0. And remember, wasn't it around this time of year that Lawrence went from backup to starter over Kelly Bryant? A little criticism there, the freshman being raised over the veteran. I think that one turned out pretty well for Dabo Sweeney. Indeed, the first 15-0 season in the history of college football. More on the college football weekend that awaits us. More of your phone calls. And we're giving away some Carolina Hurricanes tickets. One week from tonight is the regular season opener. We have one pair of tickets with parking pass that we'll give away on the other side. We also welcome your calls on NFL Week 4, Eagles at Packers tonight, Panthers at Texans Sunday, a whole bunch of other tasty treats worth consideration. Is Phillip Rivers about to get a big boost for his Chargers? I talked about the ugly numbers if you start 1-3, and three, and my Eagles, if they lose to Green Bay tonight, will be 1-3. The Panthers, if they lose to Houston, will be 1-3. The Chargers have stumbled out of the gate. Phillip Rivers is not getting any younger. They'd be 1-3 if they lost this weekend. There may be help on the way for Phillip Rivers and the Chargers. More on that NFL story. Week 5 action in the college level. Week 4 action for the NFL. Major League Baseball's final days of the regular season. College basketball is almost back. And my question for Kaniacs, what is your number one concern about this team one week before its regular season opener? I'll give you my answer to that question as we give away a couple of tickets and welcome your calls, 1-800-849-2761, next on The David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances, and I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. All the answers keep pouring in on the question of the day, Darren. For those just joining us, who is the most unforgettable sports whistleblower for you as an American sports fan? We've had a couple of off-the-beaten-path examples. Jose Canseco, PED whistleblower. But most of you are taking it as intended. 
NBA and college basketball referees, NFL guys, and HL guys, they all wore the whistle. Who is the most unforgettable sports whistleblower for you as an American sports fan? The wheels of sports justice cannot turn properly without whistleblowers doing their job well. Carl Sheffers, Jeff Triplett, Walt Coleman. Remember Mike Carey, NFL official. Pete Morelli. They're all pouring in today. A little Walt Anderson to go with your Gene Steratore or Ed Hockley. Tony Corrente. We've gotten some votes for Jerome Boger. Bill Vinovich. I didn't know not that many people remembered that many names. There's always a couple each year who are kind of famous. Some of these are blasts from the past and back to my childhood. Red Cashin. Jerry Seaman was a well-known NFL official, a man in stripes, if you will, a whistleblower on Whistleblower Day here on the David Glenn Show, 1-800-849-2761. Without these brave men in stripes, we risk lawlessness, chaos, authoritarianism, and sports anarchy. We are celebrating their presence in our society and in our sports world. We're giving away Carolina Hurricanes tickets. We're taking more of your answers to the question of the day. The Carolina Hurricanes question is, what is your number one concern about this team right now one week before its regular season opener against the Montreal Canadiens? As we come to your calls, I think Jeremy's going to get the first shot at the tickets. Whitney is going to get the second shot if needed. And remember, all season long, we're going to be giving away Carolina Hurricanes tickets. You even have a shot at my four on-the-glass personal seats in our annual Canes with DG contest. We haven't even really started it yet, but it's on Twitter. You use the hashtag Canes with DG. There are a whole bunch of Caniacs who have gotten to join me over the years in my personal seats right there on the glass, and we look forward to having another quartet Settle into those seats later this year. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Let's go to Bob and Raleigh, who wants in on the whistleblower question. Then we'll get to Jeremy, who wants to win the Canes tickets. I want winners. We want winners. Bob and Raleigh's a winner. Who is your most unforgettable sports whistleblower as an American sports fan, Bob? Jerry Markbright. He refereed four Super Bowls. Wow. And uh, in the 1960s in the Chicago Catholic League, we played our games on Sunday afternoons, and he was a Big Ten ref there then, and he would referee our games on Sunday. I remember that guy. So extra bucks. And Jerry was, like, prominent in the NFL maybe in the 70s and 80s? Correct. Yeah, I remember him from my childhood. That's a good blast from the past. Thank you for playing on Whistleblower Day. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Okay, as uh, intern Sam is taking your calls on the NFL, college football, and other headlines of the day, thanks to Pat Narduzzi of Pitt, Dave Doran of NC State, Jim Zoki of the Carolina Panthers for dropping by. Eagles at Packers tonight. More on that in just a little bit. North Carolina A&T in our backyard gets a national TV window tonight. The FCS superpower Aggies play Delaware State tonight on ESPNU. So go Aggies, 1-800-849-2761. Let me try Jeremy in Sanford. David in Whispering Pines once in on a different Hurricanes-related matter. We want to send Jeremy and a friend with a parking pass to, to next Thursday's opening night against the Montreal Canadiens. Jeremy, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? How's it going? Pretty good. I'm doing great, man. Are you a regular Caniac attending home games, or would this be like a maiden voyage for you? 
Uh, this would be a first for me, man. Ooh, ooh, I'm very excited about that because we don't give away anything but good tickets on the David Glenn Show. I actually sit down in meetings in our partnership with the Carolina Hurricanes, and I say, wait a minute, wait, you know, uh, it's great to attend a game, but this is the David Glenn Show. This is the statewide, syndicated, largest sports radio show ever done in the great state of North Carolina. Darren, do you know where people sit when we send them to Panthers home games? Right behind the end zone. Yeah, lower bowl. When we send Always them to close. Hornets home games, more of a punishment lately than a, than a prize. <laughs> but when we send them maybe just to enjoy the visitors, also the lower bowl. I forget the exact row that we would be sending Jeremy in, but uh, let's just say they are all lower level. These are not the Canes with DG tickets, just to be clear. Sometimes people are disappointed when they win on the show and they think they're getting my personal on the glass tickets. I only give those away once a year. Here is your question. There is a young right-wing sniper from Russia who is expected to be one of the Hurricanes' top scorers this coming season. Can you name that Kane? That's super easy, David. Uh, I had his autograph uh, before the season ended, and that's Andre Sestov. I think that's how you say it. Andre, Andre Svechnikov is correct. Jeremy and Sanford is going to get to go to his. This is, oh, I'm this, so happy. I can't even feel my arms. I'm really that happy as well. This is really your first Canes home game? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to afford to go to them. Man, that, I've been watching on TV. I'm really yeah. glad we can do this for you, Jeremy. Hold on the line. What was the highlight of my day earlier this week? It was Tillman Fertitta, the multi-billionaire owner Wanting of the to Houston hang out Rockets. And talk, talk Panthers. Wanted to be you. my co-host. <laughs> Wanted to break down Kyle Allen as the Panthers quarterback and Michael Jordan as the Hornets owner as a fellow billionaire. Today's highlight, I mean, I'm just trusting Jeremy at his word, right, that he's never gone to a Canes home game. And a lot of people, hey, man, in all seriousness, what do I talk about exclusively growing up in Philly going to see games? You never hear me talk about seeing Flyers games as a kid. No. The, the Glenn family was not cranking out NHL tickets back in the 1970s. We were a family of six, four kids, mom, dad. And let's just say that Phillies games were affordable and Flyers games were not. I'm serious. I think that I was, I was in my late teens before I ever went to a Flyers home game. I get it, man. I mean, I'm a little bit later in life now. There's more, there's more coin in the cushions at home, Darren, whenever I need to scrounge <laughs> together my season ticket money. At this stage of my career, fortunately, those decisions are not quite as complicated as, you know, how am I going to pay the rent this month? But I know, I feel you, man, because I was a hockey fan for more than a decade and had never seen my team play on its home ice. I've seen the Flyers play, seriously, more in adulthood on their home ice than I did from a five-year-old listening to them win the Stanley Cup as the legendary voice of Gene Hart, you know, their John Forsland, if you will. I was listening on a transistor radio buried under my pillow as I was falling asleep at night and, you know, violating mom and dad's bedtime. That's, that was my birth as a hockey fan, man, the Broad Street Bullies. I still have emotional scars because of how they used to beat people up. You know the legend of the Broad Street Bullies. Oh, yeah. At a home game, the word was you'd either see a win – or a bunch of fights, or both. Like, price of admission, right? Easily <laughs> worth it. They were setting records for penalty minutes and fighting majors while winning back-to-back -back Stanley Cups 
sadly a long, long time ago at this point, 40-plus years and counting. 1-800-849-2761. We will squeeze in David in Whispering Pines. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. This is an incredibly important question, clearly. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to take it. David has beer on his mind. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Welcome, David. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, I have a question. Why did they drop Canadian beer from the venue? To me, hockey and Canadian beer go hand in hand. Let's see. Can you Do you know as a Caniac how many different – when I think Canadian beers, I think Molson Golden. Oh, like a sweetheart from childhood. I remember that. That's a quality of, uh, Canadian beer. Um, what else would be the top ones? What did they have in recent years that represented the great nation of Canada? Do you remember? I could go for – what's that? Do you remember what other Canadian beers were at PNC in other years? Uh, Molson, Labatt's. Oh, Labatt's. Yeah, that's another good one. So you've already surveyed the website, and they have neither of those fine Canadian beers this year? I have not surveyed the website this year. Last year they did not – it was dropped, and the year before oh, it was dropped. So it was like, man. And I love my Canadian – I love my craft beer from – from uh, North Carolina, but it's like, oh, I don't man. blame you. You know, we've got some pull over there, frankly, David. So we may be able to lay down some law as the regular season opener is one week away. Quick update, Darren. Have you ever heard of Moosehead beer? Yes. Can't say I'm terribly familiar, but I have heard of it. It sounds strange and perhaps inappropriate to say one of my favorite beers from childhood. Like, is that automatically a, a violation of some kind? Um, I guess I mean, you know, wink, wink, college years. Yeah. Maybe even later college years. Yeah. I don't know. However you want to interpret it. One of your earliest favorite beers. Thank you. Yeah. Moosehead beer was one, also Canadian. Uh, Molson for sure. And Labatt Blue usually. Those would be my big three. And I, I, you know this. You can vouch for this. As a season ticket holder, who attends a dozen or more games in my on-the-glass seats, probably another dozen or more in other seats, and then more in the press box. Like, out of 40-plus, I'm going to be there 30-plus times. Sometimes college basketball or family commitments or other things, you know, get in the way of my Kaniac status. Besides the hockey itself, which I love, what do I plan my in-between period breaks around? Like oh, what? It's getting a beer. Yes. And, and you and I sort of, you know, we scope out our spots yes. every season. And I, I was doing a form of that when I was at the preseason game the other night with my buddy Ryan. And sometime, I always forget the name of my section. Am I 112 right there on the glass? Yeah, you're one, 112. Right next to what is no longer called the Zamboni entrance. Right, because they're Olympias. Olympias. All right, whatever. Next to the big hole that <laughs> allows the machine to drive onto the ice. Next to that. Really cool guys down there. So I love those seats. So I'm in 112 on the glass, first and second row, four seats, Canes with DG. And a lot of years, my favorite draft beer is truly 180 degrees on the concourse, right? Like you yeah. and I are, are doing marathon-level sprints by the end <laughs> of the season because I'm a little – I am just that guy. I, I'm, I'm not a snob about hardly anything in life, but good beer would be one of them. And I can't just take the run-of-the-mill stuff. I can't do it. I, I, you know me. If I'm at a tailgate, I respect whatever beer you drink, to each his own, to each her own. I have no nose in the air. But for my palate, it's going to be a quality beer. And if the best beer in the building is the exact opposite of where my season tickets are, I mean, that's a, that's a moral dilemma. 
either you move your season tickets that my friend Bob and I have had for a decade plus. I mean, that'd be extreme, right? Would would you move to the other end of the building in the first row? <laughs> just, just walk just over there. Be, what if the what if you moved your tickets and then your favorite draft was at the other end of the next year? Now you've lost your favorite vantage point. I can't have that. We will get to the bottom of the Canadian beer dilemma as David in Whispering Pines has brought that to our attention. That's homework assignment well, for me. In the Canes defense, so I attended a number of their watch parties when the Canes were on the road uh, during last postseason. And when they would have those sort of outdoor parties, I remember Labatt being prominently featured among the beer selections there. I can't speak for in the arena, but oh, at there's, least there. there have definitely been Canadian beers in the arena over yeah. the years. That I can vouch for. But I'll take his word about last year. Perhaps a Canadian beer snafu. Perhaps there was some high-level Tom Dundon negotiations that broke down as America and our friends to the north had just one, one more thing to disagree about, I guess. Uh, we'll get to the bottom of it. I'm a season ticket holder. It is on my mind as I plot and scheme for where I will be. Deep River Brewing was my go-to last year, wasn't it? Quick shout-out to an outstanding they did the, craft beer uh, the company. Storm Surge beer exclusively for Canes games. They yeah. did that. I love the, the Deep River uh, wheat beer. That was my go-to all season long. And remember, this year, there's a Canes beer. R&D Brewing. It's well the done. Storm you Brew. You clearly have done the most important <laughs> beer-related <laughs> sports homework of the day. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four <laughs> ties, not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Thanks to everybody who had a lot of fun with the theme of the day, the most unforgettable sports whistleblowers for you as American sports fans. I will post a summary of your best answers soon at David Glenn Show on Twitter. Thanks to Jim Zoki from the Carolina Panthers, Pat Narduzzi of Pitt, Dave Doran of the NC State Wolfpack for dropping by. They were a lot of fun, as were you as callers. TV picks tonight. Remember, Thursday night football includes Eagles at Packers. And North Carolina A&T plays host. Navy, Memphis, baseball, hockey, and more. We'll enjoy the games. See you tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people in North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.